Welcome to Dice Talk, and thank you for tuning into the podcast. Dice Talk is the show where we talk all things D&D, coming up with some helpful hints and interesting ideas for you to bring back to the game table. I'm your host, Jeremy Fair, and we've got an awesome episode planned for you. This is episode one, Don't Split the Party, and I can't wait to get things started. So, let's get into it on Dice Talk. Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Dice Talk. We have a lot to cover on tonight's episode, and to help me do that, we have one of the players from my own campaign and a good friend of mine, Parker Sawyer. So Parker, why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself to the listeners, explain your experience with Dungeons & Dragons and role-playing tabletop games in general, and just kind of tell us a little bit about what you love about playing D&D. This is my first experience playing Dungeons & Dragons. I have played like tabletop games and some random games like that in the past. One of my favorites was always HeroScape growing up, which I'd say has like a similar kind of style. Certainly not as in-depth, but at a younger age in like middle school, high school, when HeroScape was a thing, that was definitely something I was into. So being able to transition that into D&D has certainly been fun. I play a level 5 Brass Dragon Sorcerer and a level 1 Warlock praising Bahamut. Um, so it's been fun. I'm playing a spellcaster. It's my first and only character right now. I thought he died at one point, but he's not dead. So Tonight's topic is, of course, don't split the party. And, you know, we've all been there. I think we all know exactly what that means. You're with your group. You're going down to this dungeon. You've been, like, delving deeper and deeper, probably for multiple sessions. You're out of rations. You're out of spell slots. You have, like, two health left. You are basically in desperate need of a long rest, except you can't find anywhere to do that because every room is infested with monsters. Just when things couldn't get any worse, come down this hallway, and there's two pathways. You come to a crossroads. Do you go right? Do you go left? Everyone in the party starts arguing. Everyone starts bickering. The wizard wants to go one way. The barbarian wants to go the other. That's when you realize your rogue has already took it upon himself. He's about 50 feet down the left corridor, and you see him starting to open a door. I've always been more of a fan of sticking together as a party, but there are certain points where I can see where it's like splitting at the party can help, but I think they are rare circumstances. Well, from a DM's perspective, splitting the party is, you know, certainly not without its frustrations. But what I'd like to ask you is from a player's point of view, since, you know, you haven't had a chance to DM before, do you think that there are ever times when it is a good idea to split the party? Or, you know, do you think that every time somebody's just basically going to get like, you know, fucking wrecked by like 30 kobolds or something the second he walks in a room? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean... Honestly, all the character deaths we've had have actually been when the party was together. They've just been unfortunate uh, instances, but we've certainly had a, our fair share of run-ins where if we had the party together, it would have been a lot stronger. Um, but I, I think the the most recent time I can remember that we split the party was when we were storming this castle that we're in right now. Um, we had what five or six people in the party and we were trying to get into the castle stealthily to barge in on the cult of Tiamat. Cause that always works. <laughs> yeah, it is currently right. And then, so we thought, you know, we had Anya as lizard folk and we were trying to get into a, a stronghold filled with bullywogs and lizard folks. So we thought for sure he would be a good guy to get in. And I had the 
spell disguise self. So I thought, yeah, for sure. I, him and I can walk straight up to the gate, hopefully get the rest of us in. But at the same time, the rest of the party was like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> We're going to go around the side and find a sewer grate and just infiltrate it that way. In the end, it ended up working awesome. But for sure, things could have turned south really quick. Because even when Anyo and I first walked in the gate, they took him off and they started interrogating the shit out of me, which I wasn't <laughs> yeah. expecting. If anything had gone wrong, I would have been by myself just being like whipped and like beaten the shit out of. And I probably would have been dead. But I didn't die. We made it out. Charisma scores. Whoop, whoop. And and you guys were definitely like rolling good. Uh, and it kind of, I mean, it saved your lives, honestly, because even when I was like DMing that for you, I wasn't sure if you were all going to actually make it out because, you know, that's why I started, you know, rolling the dice in front of all of you. I don't want you to feel like, yeah. you know, I don't want to cheapen the experience in any way or like make you feel like I'm screwing you over or something. And yeah, honestly, I mean, for a little bit there, I thought that I thought that wasn't going to work <laughs> out in your favor because so many times, you know, splitting the party doesn't work out in the player's favors because as a DM, you're designing these encounters to be challenging for the whole party. You know, you're designing this like for four or five, you know, level six characters or whatever. And then only one level six character mm -hmm. walks in a room. Well, there's a reason that things don't always turn out how you expect. You know, like especially when it comes to like battle mats and things like that, it can really be an issue because I'll try to make these high quality maps for all of you, you know, when we're using like the Roll20 app and the screen. And I'll add all these details like, you know, you walk in and, and there's a dresser with some perfume bottles on it or there's paper scattered across the floor. Maybe under the bed, you know, there's like a few boxes with writing utensils or there's like a bedside chest that's just filled with clothing or like water jugs or, you know, dried rations or something. And, you know, things like that. So I like to include these mundane items because, you know, I want you to investigate things, but at the same time, I want you to feel like you don't just look at this table and it has some stuff on it. And so you're like, it must be something that I need to investigate. But yeah, you know, when you guys are splitting the party sometimes and you want to go like way too far from each other, it can be super hard and really fucking annoying, to be honest, as, as the DM. Because, you know, if I've designed this map in a certain way, I'm given the choice of having to basically zoom out. And have to like find a way to show this big map to where you guys aren't even to scale anymore. Or I have to, you know, basically just only describe it to the to the other person. Or sometimes you guys will try to go to like a different floor completely. And when you're, you know, when someone is using something like Roll20, you can only have the players on one tab at a time. So you're having to change these tabs and move everybody. And then you have to keep going back and forth. And it's, it's honestly, it's a kind of a problem. It wastes a lot of time. But even with physical terrain, or really, especially especially with physical terrain, honestly, you know, you build like this big foam castle thing. It has like all these trees and, you know, rocks and, you, you know, you have these big walls and all these things and wherever you make. And then all of a sudden, when your players want to split the party, you basically have to like clear off the table or like even if you, you might probably don't even have enough room just to like add on this extra part where this other player is going to go. And on, on top of that, it kind of makes me afraid as like the DM because it really inspires metagaming. When your character is not in the same room, they can't really hear what you're saying to them. Yeah, it's the separation of player versus character knowledge where it's like, even though if Anyo had gone off on his own, I can still hear you in the room like metagaming. Like I can hear you talking to him and hear what he says. So if he learns some crazy information, like keeping two puzzle rooms separate, like if, if he had to interact with an object that he would then have to bring us the information all the way across the castle, like, but we just heard you say it to him. Realistically, he'd be like, oh, like maybe we'll bump around this room and like, oh, we found 
found it. But realistically, like he as a player or a, a character, he would have to run that information all the way across the castle and mm-hmm. find it and give it to us. It's definitely hard to like definitely moving the maps all over the place. That can just be time consuming. You know, it pulls everybody kind of out of the game. But at the same time, it's not the fault of the dm it's just you know we're, we're trying to stay together but some people just want to go separate in a different way so it's a it's a tough situation to be in yeah it can really bog down the game i mean especially when you're you know when you're switching back and forth let's let's say that you know your group is more of the theater of the mind kind of group and you're describing this entire room in detail and they're just like picturing in their minds i mean that's going to be a little bit easier to switch back and forth than using a physical map and, you know, having to worry about everything in that way. But it's still really going to slow things down. Exactly. If I'm helping the players in one room and I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And they're all interacting in the same room together. But then you have this other person in the other room that's like getting all antsy and waiting for their turn. Now you're like, okay, one minute and you're switching back over to the other room to take care of that person. And while you're doing that, the other three players, now they're waiting for their turns. So like you have to keep switching back and forth, answer questions and describe details and it's just so much easier to focus on one room at a time. So then you can, you know, describe it to the whole group and they can all interact and play together. Uh, I mean, I guess there are times when it can work out. But like I said before, it's not only a risk because of the way the encounters are balanced, but it's also a risk of just slowing down the game just because you wanted to split off. I just feel like it's a pretty dick move because, you know, it's really going to inconvenience everyone else at the table. And, and the way that D&D is... Combat and stuff already really takes a long time. I mean, when we played tonight, it took you guys, what, like an hour and a half just to defeat one enemy? Oh, yeah. We, like, half our party would have been dead. That gelatinous cube, even though, like, it wasn't, like, a super strong monster, it still KO'd one of us. The uh, gelatinous cube KO'd one of us and almost KO'd another one of us. It just absorbed the guy. And so, like, we, we literally had to make a chain of our players to, like, pull one of the guys out and save the other guy. So, I mean, yeah, somebody easily could have died. And think about how long that took. And that was with all of you together. Imagine if the party was split up and now you're all in here fighting this gelatinous cube. Then the girl who split off from the party ends up finding her own encounter. Not only are you going to have to keep switching back and forth between, you know, describing what's happening and stuff. But now you have two initiatives to worry about. And on top of that, you, as the player, you're going to feel the need, like, if she's about to die or if she gets knocked unconscious or something, you're going to feel like you want to go and help this person, but you're not in there. Your character, like, doesn't even know what's happening to them. Like, you're not in the room. Yeah. You you don't know he got, like, in player knowledge, you don't know he got KO'd. But, like, you know, in character, your buddy's looking at you like, come fucking save me. And it's like, we're not friends if you don't fucking save me. It's like, but I don't know you're dead in that room. Like, I can't I can't save you if I don't know. So, yeah, it, it's tough. Because you're like, I, I want to revive my friend and keep him in the game. Because obviously you don't want to see somebody be on their, like, second death saving throw when they failed too. And you're like shit i have to go save him at the same time it's like player knowledge you don't know he's in there and what's his option to scream for help if you're like 300 feet away or something and she does well enough on her performance roll or does thaumaturgy or something like that and you're able to hear her scream well that means everything else in the dungeon that's within 300 feet can also hear her scream oh yeah i mean that's how you get armies of enemies just running off to this one split off character they're basically fucked like if all the npcs in the four rooms down the hallway also hear her that means they're gonna all come and investigate at once yeah that's not good for anybody So it seems like we have been kind of, you know, focusing more on the negative aspects of splitting the party. And there are definitely a lot of them because, you know, it is a risky move. And like I said, as a DM, it's not my favorite thing. But what are some times that you can think of 
just some examples of when it does work out. And, you know, it is a good idea to think about splitting the party. I think the best instances of splitting the party is when it's more of like just a small area split. So like even something you'd still do on a on a single map, but still in two different locations to say like two people are in two different rooms or like two groups are in two different rooms. Like I remember uh, before we had we were in Waterdeep and we were trying to infiltrate Bethel's bottles because we got a tip that the cult of Tiamat was like running some sketchy shit out of there. And so we walked in and it was my character Mordai. I want to say Augie, who is our, our dwarf uh, warrior barbarian, and then Anyo as a reptilian what was he at? What was he at that point? He had a class change. He was a monk. He was a monk, uh, but he was still he was still a reptile, and like mm-hmm. most of the cult, Tiamat's all yeah, lizard folk, reptiles, all that sort of kobolds and stuff. And so he walked in, and he immediately beelined it towards a table of two other kobolds who were sitting in the back. And Augie and I, we sat at the front with some one of the drunk random human NPCs that was, came with us, who was in the Harpers Guild, and we sat up front. Thankfully. Anyo did go off on his own because a minute later, one of the white kobold champions that we had fought earlier in the campaign popped out of the back room and instantly recognized me. Like, off the bat, saw my character and was like... Well, it's because he almost fucked you guys up, like, (laughs) a month prior. Yeah, I was the first time... I guess in game time, it's like... Three days prior. Yeah, yeah. So he definitely knows. And that was honestly the first time we had like a full like party KO wipe. So like it was a de- like all of us remembered who this kobold was. So when he stuck his head out, he instantly recognized me. Thankfully, I was able to roll some like super high charisma rolls and like not engage him in fighting inside this bar and like give us away. So we were at least able to like step out the door. But since Anya was already in the back of the bar with two other kobolds, he was basically able to like be stealthy and covert and be like yeah like hail tiamat i'll pledge my allegiance and all this and he basically got us an in into like getting into the bar and like essentially later on i mean at our next session i think we fully infiltrated the bar and took it over and killed every well killed all the cultists in there (laughs) and then went to the back room and like followed through with the quest so i mean that's definitely a, an instance where it worked out in our favor and i would say overall it's it's a matter of like not splitting the party far enough to where it becomes a hassle of like switching in between screens and like you know truly making a time consuming matter but more of like an rp aspect is like no like we're gonna stay close like because at the same time like we were just right outside the bar it's not like we ran off and did our own side quest at that point we we're still just in the same area but we our party was still technically split you know yeah i mean when you were all still in water deep because uh, the Bethel's Bottle Bar fight took place in water deep for the most part the way i designed that si- that like entire city was like, I mean, there were literally 300, like 350 different buildings that I created the actual maps for so you can go into them. And a lot of them were just shops, but the way I looked at it was, you guys have a rogue in the group. If he decides to steal something from a shopkeeper that sells magical items in Waterdeep and he gets caught, that shopkeeper that sells magical items is probably going to retaliate, which means I'm going to need a map for combat. I I didn't know what you were going to do. I mean, you guys could have even planned some, like, heist or something and snuck in in the middle of the night to start fucking robbing people. (laughs) You told us you thought we were going to break into random strangers' houses and stuff. Like, you you had planned out random houses. Yeah, I made, like, ten different houses. Just just in case case you broke into somebody's house to try and loot it. So I'm glad you think we're, like, naturally more aligned toward the evil side, even though we're not. (laughs) Well, I know. I just, my thoughts are just based on your actions, I guess. I'll just call it like I see it. But yeah, it's kind of like you were saying. I didn't know whether or not you'll be going in these houses, you know, 
it might be pretty unrealistic for me to like, I mean, Waterdeep is like 5,000 different houses. So it'd be crazy and probably impossible for me to actually make the maps for all the houses. But yeah, you know, I just made like 10 or 15 different maps. And if you decided to go into one of the houses, I would just randomly choose one of the maps I made. And, you know, from now on, house 1024 would be whatever map I chose. And I didn't know because, you know, Waterdeep is so huge. I think it's the biggest city in the Forgotten Realms. And as far as I know, at least. And I thought there was definitely a possibility that you guys were going to try to split the party. Like the rogue might go look for underground Warren and find some thieves tools or something. Or like someone might want to go into a temple. Another person might go looking for magical items. There's just then there's always the one that's just going to like go to the bar and sit there and start unnecessary trouble. So it's like. Despite the fact that I don't love it when players split the party, I also have to anticipate that you will try to split the party because the amount of times that I was DMing a game in the past and I did not anticipate the party being split, well, it kind of results in like a a lackluster game from my perspective. But, you know, because I I do always want to be prepared and I do always want to have these nice looking maps and this well-designed plot, while I don't want to like railroad the campaign into a certain direction, I do kind of have this idea of like where I want it to go. Right. So when we just like you have, it's like, all right, go towards this town. Like you clearly like the quest is go to the windmill. You're like, yeah, but that's something shiny over there. So we're going to go check that out on the way to the windmill. But like you don't have that area of the map built up or something, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you're in a town and you want to go shopping or like something like that, I think that makes sense as a good time to split the party. 100%. I'm like, we did most of that anyways, like through, I mean, I guess you could do it through like Discord. We did it in WhatsApp. We just have our little D&D chat. Like so it's easy. Downtime activities. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, we, we play week week by week every Wednesday. So it's like, you know, Thursday fires up. I have a slow day at work. I'm on D&D chat. Just like, yeah, I'm going to go like, tell me where like the nearest jeweler is. Like I, I let my raven fly up in the air and try and spot a jeweler or something like that. So, I mean, that that's definitely, I mean, but then again, it does come down to like how forgiving you are with like but encounters yeah. within the city. Like shit, say if I walk down some shady ass alley to get mm-hmm. to some back alley jeweler and I get fucking stabbed in the gut by some fucking random rogue NPC, you know? Like, that's that's definitely a, a case scenario that has to be taken into account. I mean, in that instance, though, like, could my character subdue a single guy? Likely, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, it could just be... Uh, he could he could have his dagger dipped in some paralyzing poison. I don't know yeah. what you have in store for him. So it's truly, a, I feel like, it's, at a certain aspect, it's up to the DM's discretion. Right, I can definitely see that. And, you know, it kind of depends on where you're at. Like, if you're in a town, like, okay, so right now we're running the Horde of the Dragon Queen campaign. And, you know, I kind of took a lot of liberties in changing the story quite a bit. And I'm using the maps and the characters and plot points and stuff like that. But basically, let's say you're in Greenest, which is a really small hamlet type town that's on the southern end of the Sword Coast. If you were shopping in Greenest and, you know, it wasn't being raided by the Dragon Colt and being burned to the ground by a dragon. If you were in a town like that under normal circumstances, you could probably be pretty sure that you'd be safe to split the party. You know, somebody could go shopping and someone could go to the, like, the shoe tailor and somebody could go to the butcher store and someone can go to the temple or whatever. And you'd probably be all right. You're probably not going to get robbed. Probably not going to get attacked. You're probably not yeah. going to get lost or something like that. But when you're somewhere like Waterdeep, I mean, this, this place is huge. It's got like districts. There's like a castle ward and like the shady dock ward. There's a Warren's area underground. I mean, depending on where you're at, there's a pretty good chance that something might happen to you. Because this is, you know, Waterdeep is basically a megaopolis and it's very much an urban setting. And I think we all know that in any urban setting, uh, crime is going to be rampant. 
So even though you might want to split up in a city this big so that you can cover more ground and save time or, you know, maybe you don't want to waste too much time shopping uh, despite the fact that you guys did that for four fucking nights in a row. Like you literally did nothing but shop for 16 hours of game time. But if you did all that stuff separately, uh, I mean, there really could have been a chance that you would have ran into some trouble. You knew the Dragon Cult already suspected you were on their trail since they sent that assassin that you guys killed. But it's just really something that you need to take into consideration. Because if you want to split up the party to save time, but then you end up dying because of it, it really wasn't that great of a decision. But even though it's not, you know, super advisable to split up the party, in my opinion, especially in like hostile areas, sometimes I guess it is unavoidable. Can you think of any times when you were trying to be stealthy in a hostile area and you had to split up the party, you know, basically to survive or to like pull off whatever it was that you were trying to do? None are coming to mind right off the top of my head besides the one we did with uh, getting in the castle. But I mean, even trying to get six people in the front gate of that castle would have been impossible. There's no way we could like maybe we could have all gone around the side, but in being players like we already kind of Anyo and I knew we were just going to go on the front like I was I had already disguised myself in character Anyo had already like started like prepping himself to make him seem wounded you know mm-hmm. and we were already kind of walking up to the front gate so I mean I guess we did kind of get ahead of ourselves like we could I guess discuss that more with the party but we kind of just thought for sure that was the way to go and we would be able to infiltrate it and then find a way to get the others in we could have stayed with the group, but I, I still think it worked out for the best in terms of getting all of them. Because then we all had to fit through the small uh, sewer. We Forming as a big group would have made us a lot more easily visible to whoever was in the castle, like looking down on us. But like splitting it makes us not as easily detectable. Well, I've noticed, you know, this since this is your first time that you've all played, you know, this was the 38th week of the campaign when we played tonight. I mean, that's a lot. Especially when you consider that as, you know, 38 four-hour sessions, you know, I mean, you have some time under your belt. But I remember when you were all first starting, and you guys used to split up the party a lot more than you do now. Because you were all new players, and, you know, I was trying to guide you a little bit. Are you talking about when we kicked open, like, six doors all at once? (laughs) So you guys are in the Sunless Citadel. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, you all come into a room, and there's, like, this huge hallway in this ancient citadel that's, like you know, like a mile underground, you see six doors and your reasoning is let's each go to a door and we'll just open them all at the exact same time. We had six doors, six people. That was literally our first session playing shit. That made sense to me. It made sense to everybody. We're like, yeah, let's just do it. Everyone grab a door handle, throw that shit open. It's gotta be loot. Right. I think we ended up finding a white dragon behind one, like a baby white dragon, an ice dragon behind one of the doors. You found one room that was like huge and basically a goblin town with like, you know, like literally like 50 goblins in it. You found a room that just led to more doorways. You found this prison that had a whole bunch of kobolds and like other skeletons shackled to the wall. And then you found another room that had the smashed furniture everywhere, the gold pile and, you know, like ice all over the walls and stuff. And like you said, it was a baby ice dragon, which you're all level one characters. So that's a fucking cakewalk. I mean, it's a dragon. I think you spent the next two sessions, like the entire nights, just running from this goblin army, just booking it through this castle and trying to not get caught up, you know, in this mob of goblins that was chasing you. What ended up happening was Drew's character, before he was Anyo, before he was Garou, I can't remember what his character's name was, but uh, he 
was playing something he and he turned invisible and opened up the door and he like peeked his head in and saw like 40 goblins and this was like by the time like all of us were behind him just like opening doors and like just kicking him open wildly so i guess we weren't really paying too much attention to like how vocal and how loud we were being which i don't think we had fully i mean it was our first session i don't think we had fully grasped at all the whole idea of like player versus character knowledge but like after that we certainly like we certainly slowly and slowly started getting into it but oh he he like peeked in, saw forty goblins, and then like went to slowly close the door. And I think he just rolled low on like his stealth check, and ended up just like closing the door too loudly. And all the goblins were like, "What the fuck was that? Did you guys hear that?" And so it was like everyone was like, "Go, just run down the hallway, just keep going, keep going." So yeah, we just kept trying to dodge goblins as much as we could that entire campaign. Um, I don't think that worked out all the way because there was that one goblin. There was one goblin that uh, George's character Tejano Niblace. We uh we snuck into a because uh there's another instance of splitting the party because Drew's character had gone off and he was like sneaking around in the rafters trying to find something specific because I think his character had like a specific mission of his own but uh T-Nibs, he was trying to be stealthy and he was trying to rob this goblin oh Jesus Christ <laughs> Jesus Christ I know where this is going <laughs> no we we can save it we can save it it's okay we'll save it I know you love the story. <laughs> this will come in later it'll come in later better so parker you have anything else to add about splitting the party um no i mean the, the only other thing i can think of splitting the party would be maybe like if you had to flank a large enemy like we had i think it was the nephelshnee that we fought the one we had to like put salt around it that was the nephelshnee right yeah a big demon boar pig looking thing and I think it's just how loosely you want to consider splitting the party, a splitting party. Because, like, I think even if you kind of stealthily split off and somebody's not necessarily, like, interacting, like, in initiative. Like, if Drew's character had, like, snuck up the walls and just, like, had gone off and done his own thing, but in the same general area, in order to be able to come back and flank the bigger enemy to give us a better advantage and do more damage, I think that's a smart idea. But in terms of, like, if he just dipped out and, like, didn't help us fight it, that'd be fucked up. But, I mean, he could have easily helped and, like, done more like that, you know? A lot of times, like, especially depending on if you're, like, a wizard or a rogue with, you know, they usually have less hit points. Sometimes you just need to, to, you know, get the hell out of there. Like, sometimes it's just better to be like, yeah, I know I should be helping you, but I'm also better off alive than dead. So, you know, peace out and just, like, bail. But um, I think that's all I have for our listeners. Uh, Do you have anything, Parker? No, not in terms of splitting the party. I got that goblin story. I know you want to hear more of it. (laughs) All right. Well, that is all we have on splitting the party. But don't go anywhere just yet because we still have the second segment of our show, The Deep Dive. Before we get into that, I would just like to take one moment to thank our sponsors at Dungeon Crate. They make all of this possible. Down in the depths of the mountain, we dwarves spend our time forging powerful weapons, mining precious gems and metals, and feasting like kings. But after a day of digging for the next Arkenstone, this dwarf likes to come home to a package full of loot. Dungeon Crate is a monthly subscription box service forged specifically for RPG and tabletop gamers. Miniatures, dice, tokens, coins, maps, modules, terrain pieces, handcrafted items, RPG jewelry, and more are yours for only a few gold per month. You even get a digital crate along with a physical one as an added bonus. So are you brave enough to reward yourself with a dungeon crate? By Morden's beard, I hope so! DungeonCrate.com Let the adventure begin! 
Once again, that is Dungeon Crate. You can place your order today at DungeonCrate.com and use the coupon code DICETALK to get $5 off of your first order. But now let's get back to the podcast because it is time for the Deep Dive. Welcome to the Deep Dive. This is a segment of the show where we dive in to take a deeper look at some of the more specific elements of Dungeons & Dragons. This could be something like a monster, this could be an item, this could be one of the gods in the vast pantheons of Dungeons & Dragons. It could be something like a group of people or a class. It could be a character race. Now for our first episode, I figured I could choose anything out of the entire multiverse of all things Dungeons & Dragons. I chose goblins. You're probably thinking, why in the fuck would you choose goblins? And honestly, the reason I chose goblins is because, I mean, I hate goblins. I hate them. Every time I go up against another goblin, I'm like, okay, great, goblins. Thanks for wasting my precious D&D time. You know, it's like I know them back and front. I can tell you their HP. I can tell you their AC. And it's just so boring. And that is exactly why I chose them for tonight's deep dive. Because we are going to find a way to take something as boring as goblins and make them exciting again. Make them interesting and unexpected, maybe even challenging. That way, even veteran players could come across a goblin and the unexpected can occur. Take this thing that has been overused and, you know, washed out. And make it new again. Make it something that's fun, unexpected, and a bit of a challenge. Parker. What's up? You open a door. You see ten goblins. What do you do? Fireball. All of them dead. Done. Don't even care about it. I'm honestly kind of relieved at this point. I feel like you throw us, like, fucking crazy-ass monsters every time we walk into a door. So when I see ten goblins, I'm like, whew. Thank God. But for, like, a more seasoned veteran player i can easily see how it's like yeah especially somebody who's dm'd as well like like you said you know the stats it's a basic character it's like fighting a cobalt or some shit like that like you just know the stats you know unless it's got some specific sort of insignia on its arm it's like it's not a champion cobalt it's just fucking general run-of-the-mill goblin you just kick it over and it'll die what if you were to encounter pirate goblins Because, you know, at their heart, goblins are just, what, raiders and marauders, and that's all that pirates are. So let's say you're taking a ship, trying to get somewhere a little bit quicker, and all of a sudden, this other ship comes out of the fog, and it's just covered in goblins. Like, these goblin pirates are all over it. There's like 30, 40, 50 goblins. I mean, that's a lot of goblins. And on top of that, there's nowhere to run. Like, there's these all these goblin pirates. They're boarding your ship. They're starting a raid on you. I mean, you guys have, what, three, four, five people in the party? plus however many people are on the crew, you're probably going to get overran. And not only that, they're going to have all these different weapons that you're not used to. They're going to have like scimitars and daggers. They're going to have bows. They might have muskets, like a flintlock pistol type deal. Oh, shit. And then cannons. Think about that. I mean, if they're on a ship, of course they're going to have cannons. And, you know, and they're like pirate goblins. So, like, what if you gave them advantage when you're, like, fighting in the water, you know, because they're, like, used to the environment? Like, fighting on board, like, slippery, like, uh, if you made, like, the boat hard terrain because, like, they spilled something or something like that, or, like, the the floorboards are just extra wet or some shit like that. Yeah, or what if you, like, actually managed to be fighting a goblin underwater, like, you fell off the ship, or maybe you're swimming under the ship because you're going to try to attack them from below, and you're actually fighting, you know, underwater, 
I would probably give a player disadvantage if they're trying to swing a sword underwater, but maybe you give the goblin advantage or, you know, maybe you just give him regular chances because he's used to this kind of thing. He's used to fighting underwater with a sword. So maybe he doesn't have the penalty the way the player does. Mm -hmm. And what about you? Like as a player, if you walked into a room, what kind of thing would catch you off guard? What kind of goblin would really kind of freak you out would, would, you know, be a challenge to you? I got a, a few different ideas, but to kind of bounce off of what you had is the same idea as like any enemy that's going to be weaker is a lot more intimidating in mass. Like anytime you see one, one goblin in a room, one cobalt in a room, it's no big deal. Like I said, you kick it over, it's dead, you move on. But if you open a door and there's 40 goblins standing there, especially like in your instance where you're talking about, you know, 20, 30 pirate goblins on a contained area, like that's intimidating as hell. Like, you can't just, if shit does go bad for some reason, like, obviously you're going to go in gung-ho because you're like, fuck it, I can kill all these goblins. But then, you know, what if they start ganging up on you? You know, what what if your initiative roll is lower than theirs so you have 30 goblins attack you before you're able to hit one? That's a lot of damage you're going to be taking. Like, that's pretty rough. It's not as easy as just barging in, kicking it in, just slaying a bunch of goblins real quick. Unless you, like, roll high initiative and they just fireball the shit out of their ship and they're just dead. But my, my idea was, like, thinking that same like a swarm of goblins but if you could uh like a cultist sort of mage and have like a hive mind sort of thing with all the goblins i think that'd be pretty crazy like every single one of them acted as one and just kind of took over an entire area i think that would be intimidating as hell what if you came across goblins and they weren't even like normal goblins at all what if they were like these mutated goblins that were created like some sort of like as experiments by like mm-hmm. a wizard or like you know, a druid or some warlock or I don't know, even a scientist or like an alchemist. Yeah, they got like extra arms and looking like Goro running at you. Or yeah, they come shit. at you and they got like three attacks per turn or something because yeah, yeah. they have four arms or yeah. like some crazy like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would definitely catch players off guard, I think. You walk in and it's like this goblin has this big hunchback. He's like seven and a half feet tall. He's got like four arms and like glowing red eyes. Maybe he's like immune to a certain type of damage. Basically a modified ogre. <laughs> yeah, basically like that. What if it's like they're demonic? Like yeah. they're cursed or they're possessed or something. Like resistance to a lot of stuff except for like radiant damage or some shit like that. Yeah, like if they're some sort of demon or something that like is in control of the leader of the goblin tribe. Right. And so, you know, they're like being controlled and like worked like puppets or something, but nonetheless they are given this this stronger demonic strength or like these abilities maybe they like can breathe fire or they're immune to fire maybe they can only be hurt by like magical means or something of that nature right i I, like relating back to the hive mind thing i think that'd be really cool especially if you made if you gave those goblins some sort of like demonic resistance to everything and you know couldn't naturally kill them because they had such high resistances but whoever was controlling all these goblins you could make all of them speak all at once kind of like how a tiamat uh, the dragon queen is like spoken through some of her other vessels sort of thing so you know they're related to some so if all of them spoke at once you kind of like show your players that there's you have to like kill the wizard behind the curtain sort of thing like you can't just kill all of the uh goblins you have to seek further and see who's controlling all these and like kill the brainstem of this hive mind and then you could take down all these goblins i think that'd be a really cool spin on that yeah definitely i mean 
kind of what you were saying is almost is very similar to the, the demon idea. And uh, the Wizards of the Coast, in one of their books that came out recently in Volo's Guide uh, to Monsters, they actually kind of focus on this a little bit. Uh, there's these special types of goblins that are a tribe called the Booyags. Basically, there's their boss who is like being controlled more or less by this evil god, which very, you know is basically a demon. Mm-hmm. And they're they're given all these extra abilities and all these different enhancements. I mean, it mentions here that there's Booyag casters who are goblin wizards. So now these goblins and not not just your normal dagger wielding shirtless goblin. It's this thing in a row with like all these special power. I mean, mm-hmm. this thing could be level four, or level five encounter. Who knows? It can be throwing firebolt out there. It could be doing like teleport. It could be healing itself. I mean, honestly, it's endless. And, and as the DM, you can build it however you want. You can right. you can even adjust the challenge during the battle if, if you really want to. If if you feel it's too hard, it's too easy. These things. I mean, right here it says there's another thing called a booyah wielder, and this is the type of thing that's just like holding an artifact that gives its powers. So it's not magic in nature, but it has these abilities to like cast a big ball of ice or to cast a fireball simply from the artifact it's carrying. Now, of course, as a dungeon master, if you're going to do something like that, you need to think about the consequences because if, if it's wearing a ring that lets it shoot fireball, mm. now your players are going to loot the body and pick up a ring that lets it oh, cast yeah. fireball. Unless it's like somehow bound to that person or that goblin, you know? Or maybe it just harms anyone but the person it was granted to yeah, in the first or, place. Or like whenever the wearer dies, it like immediately catches on fire and just like disintegrates sort of thing. Another thing I was thinking of is what if you had these, what if you had in your world, you're making this homebrew, whole homebrew campaign, mm-hmm. and in your world, goblins used to be these big, powerful beings who were like, I don't know, above orcs, above, you know, bugbears, above even ogres and giants. Yeah, what if they were like giant status, and maybe they obtained this power that was somehow forbidden, mm-hmm. and maybe their, their reach kind of extended beyond their will, and eventually the gods got mad. And a curse was put on them. They were cursed to become this race of tiny, short-tempered, you know, weak, like these ideas that we traditionally associate right, with right. goblins. You know, what if they were cursed this way? And so now the goblins in your campaign are trying to find a way to reobtain that power. I mean, that can be an entire plot hook. You can write an entire campaign and, like, run a D&D yeah. for, for months based off of this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you could even put some of those goblins on, like, mounted horseback or mounted on drakes or something like that. I mean, to show how... I, I, I think throughout history you kind of think of, like, horseback riding and stuff like that as something that's more of, like, a regal thing or anybody that's, like, jousting. It's, it's more, like, knightly or something like that, you know, medieval times. So I think putting goblins on horseback and just having them mounted already puts them at, like, a higher just level of just, like, I don't really want to fuck with that. And obviously you'd boost their stats up and stuff like that, too. I mean, one of the traditional type of mounts that goblins are often showed, and, and you know, they, they show this in, like, Lord of the Rings, but I think it's even in Dungeons & Dragons mythology kind of, uh, goblins are always kind of riding on wargs, which are those big, giant, like, wolf creatures, but they're, like... Oh, shit. Hellhounds, more so than just regular wolf creatures. Yeah. And on top of that, you know, you think of, like, a game like Legend of Zelda, and you traditionally will have these big goblins, though I think they're called moblins in Zelda, but you'll have these goblins riding on, like, boars and things, and I always like that idea of, like, riding on such a beastly creature that is vicious and is intimidating, but as, like, a human size, you you can't really ride on a boar. But a goblin... It's yeah, it makes sense that they yeah. can ride on a boar, and that's fucking intense. Yeah, but it's yeah. like in addition to that, and it's still a goblin on there, so he's still like well, shooting you with a bow and arrow, or like slashing at you with a sword or something. As you're yeah, like by. a long ass pole arm, like yeah, you've already got like a two pretty heavy attacks just right there. 
And then another thing, what if, they, I mean, what if they're riding on something like a rhino, like a rhinoceros with, like, armor on it? You could do something yeah. like that, especially if you're, like, running your game in, like, Cholt, where it's more mm-hmm. of, like, this jungle kind yeah, of environment. More exotic. And with all dinosaurs and things, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be super out of place to have, like, something like a rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. One of the campaigns I design that I usually run for players when they're brand new, or if I'm trying to convince someone to play D&D or, you know, show them what D&D is like, Sunless Citadel? No, before that, it's a a much shorter one. Sunless Citadel (laughs) is not really a cakewalk at all. I run in there, and and one of the first things you encounter is just a single goblin. And of course, the players are going to, you know, follow this goblin and try to hunt them down. But what I like to do is you walk in a room, and in the room is this crazy symbol on the floor, and a goblin standing in the middle of it holding a torch. There's a big, like, drum of oil next to him. And the first thing he does is smile at you and light himself on fire. Then he runs (laughs) over and gives you a big hug. I mean, as a player in general, but as a new player... You're like, what the fuck just happened to me? What the fuck just happened to me? It's hard then, to cope with. Yeah, and they don't know what to do. And it turns out it's something like, you know, the symbol on the ground was like a fire protection ward. And because he's standing in that area, he's protected. Or like, maybe he has that same symbol tattooed on him somewhere on his body. And that gives him the fire protection. Mm-hmm. Something of that nature. So now, a scenario like that, you're teaching these new players, like, you know, expect the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Also, you're, how to interact with the environment and stuff like that. What Things to watch out for. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you if you explain a detail, it might be worth exploring. And this is also going to teach them to kind of like use their skills a little bit more. Next time they're going to probably investigate and see what that marking on the ground is. Yeah. They're probably going to be a little bit more stealthy and cautious of that goblin, even if it is just one. And you know, I think these are the kind of ideas you can you can introduce not only to new players but like any players at all. Just kind of change it up in a certain way that makes these goblins more exciting and more of a challenge. You know, if you do that you can make a goblin very challenging because they're going to just think it's a regular goblin. They're just going to expect it to be that same old, easy, you know, basically waste of time to fight goblin. And then you you change it up on them. They're not going to know what to think. I think it could be a good way to make games really interesting and make them really fun. Yeah, I mean, even if you don't, like, buff the goblin stats or anything, I mean, I think there's still a lot of potential for, like, doing some fun role-play stuff with goblins. Like, I remember when we were in the Sunless Citadel, we were uh, wandering through the dungeon. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we oh, my God. Wandering through the dungeon. So we're wandering through, and we're kind of uh, we're kind of getting used to our skills, and our, our resident rogue um, decides he wants to sneak around. He wants to... Th- there's a goblin sleeping on the floor, so he, he decides he's going to hop over this little... Uh, partition real quick and reach in his so pockets. Just been waiting to like sneak oh. this in. <laughs> I 100% have. And so he hops over this partition and he decides, "Hey, I'm going to use my pickpocketing skill and I'm going to I'm going to steal this gold." Sorry, mom. And, <laughs> and so I mean, this is like I said, this is our second, maybe third session playing. So like even two or three gold was like a big deal to us. Like we're like, "Oh shit, like we got gold. Hell yeah." And so he reaches into his pocket but he rolls like a natural one on his pickpocketing skill. And our pleasant, sweet DM <laughs> decides that not only did he not grab any coinage, but he grabbed this goblin's dick. <laughs> this goblin woke up to Tejano nib- Nibbles grabbing his penis. And the, the goblin wakes up and do- doesn't know what to do. So, quick thinking, which great role-playing on our friend George's standpoint was, 
he he immediately decided I'm going to use an intimidate. It was an intimidator persuasion. It was some charisma check, but he decided I'm going to persuade him, I guess, to go back to sleep. And so he rolled like a 19 or something, something stupid. He, I don't think he rolled a natty 20, but he he was up there. And so as a gracious DM, you're like, okay, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna let he's gonna go back to sleep. But you're just like you're massaging him back to sleep, <laughs> like hands still, hands still in his pocket. Like he's going back to sleep with a smile on his face. I, I think your words were, he's he he goes back to sleep with a smile on his face because he's he's never been touched like this before in his life, and he's just happy to have a companion. <laughs> and so you, uh, how did this finish? You let George put him back to sleep, and then George immediately decided he was going to wipe his slate clean by taking his dagger. No, it's a short sword. He plunges his short sword through the the goblin's chest, hand still in his pocket, and your next line was, you just feel a hot liquid in your hand. <laughs> it was fucking gold. I mean, that was, like I said, that, what week were we on? 33, 34? Something crazy up there. And that was still, like, our second or third week playing. That story still sticks with me. And that was funny as shit. And uh, T-Nibs then leans up over the partition and Intimidate checks us with, like, a natty 20 that we don't remember anything. So, in, in character, we can't bring it up. Out of character, I'll bring it up at the table all the fucking time. Because <laughs> fuck that. That was hilarious. <laughs> fucking great. Well, Parker, I hope you're proud of yourself because you've made me lose my concentration completely. <laughs> Tell that to the goblin. Do you have anything else for our listeners? Uh, no. In terms of, like, boosting stats buffing those things and making some cool goblins just playing around with classes and stuff don't have anything different there i honestly do think there's a lot of potential to role play goblins in a different way even with like that hive mind thing i think that would be a cool idea but um other than that no i I don't see i don't have anything else to add all right i think we've done it thank you for listening to the deep dive and remember to tune in next week for episode two of dice talk I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning to the first episode of the podcast. I hope we were able to give you some ideas and inspiration to bring back to your own game at home. If you have something that you want to say about splitting the party, or have some suggestions for how you like to keep goblins exciting and interesting, we would love to hear about it. You can send us comments, questions, or just say hi by going to our website at dicetalkshow.com. There, you can post on the blogs of the Dice Talk community, take a look at our image gallery, and stay up to date with all things Dice Talk. If you want to contact us through social media, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just type in Dice Talk and start following us today. You can also get in touch with us by sending us an email to dicetalkshow at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. They really help get the show to the top of the charts so that Dice Talk can reach even more listeners. I'll be reading out a few reviews in future episodes, so rate and review us, tell us what you think, and listen for your shout-out. Until then, tell your friends about us, and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening to Dice Talk, and be sure to tune in next week for Episode 2. 